Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Now, my horribles, let's check under the bed, feel around in the dark closet, and close your window shutters for Nightmares from the Shadows. comes from the alternate portrait, where vampires live and work beside their human cousins. And all sorts of creatures, fair and foul, walk the same earth as humans, who are only now discovering that they are not alone in this world. Besides the industry and invention, the science and discovery, the advancement of mankind with steam carts and airships and mechanical marvels, there also dwells a mystical side, which lay undiscovered and up until now, undisturbed. Here in a Portland that never was, but would likely exist, where a single turn of fate might transform the Portland we know into one that is unknown but familiar. Where vampires and mystics are as commonplace as mechanics and scientists. Where discoveries of the natural world lay alongside discoveries of the more unnatural. Join us now for The Steam Portland Chronicles, Episode 3, The Sirens of Astoria. flying the Union Jack, had gone from its port in Plymouth around the Horn and called at its Pacificus port San Diego and San Francisco. Then according to its law, it was bound to point north up to Portland and then through the Strait of Juan de Fuca to Seattle via Puget Sound. It never made its northern destination. Keep it, keep it between the north and south, Jeffies. Uh, steer toward the north, the south. Uh, it's a bit more tricky, but it, it helps to avoid sand island just inside the mouth. Aye, aye, Captain. Slow and steady as she goes. The mouth of the Columbia River divides the state of Oregon and the Washington Territory. It was a foggy morning that was still pitch black, and the paddle steamer Hibernia was making its approach to enter its tricky waterways. Unbeknownst to its captains and crew, Navigating the Columbia was the least of their words. Check sound. Oh. I don't know. It sounded like... Oh, I can't see very far in this fog. 
Janice Jeffries of the Portland Chronicle, recalling the true accounts of the sirens of Astoria as recorded upon the Hamilton and Reynolds sonic device for replicating sound and voice. We are recording. Test. Playback. We are recording. Test. Playback. This is the age of science and invention, when steam engines power brass mechanical marvels, and amazing discoveries open up new world wonders and old terrors best forgotten. The year is 1889. No one remembers a different year. For certain, we know our histories of past nations, peoples, and kingdoms rising and falling, but the, every year in, is in our present time, 1889. Our relationship to historical pastimes becomes more and more obscure. Next year shall again be 1889, and any time that is in the past, eventually, we'll, we will know is 1889. The fact that time is both fixed and fluid is our conundrum to consider, or not. The more we don't consider it and just accept it, the more natural it becomes. Speaking of just accepting it, that's what I have to do with my editor, Liam Stark's attitude toward the copy I turn in. You'd think after being the lead reporter for the Portland Chronicle for so many years, I'd get used to his gentleman's agreement with the truth. But I always walk away feeling a need for a wash. Jeffries, I need more sensation in this story. It leads like, reads like a farmer's almanac. Liam, it's an exposition piece about Portland's new Broadway bridge and the steam trolley lines crossing the river. What more do you want? Can't you infer that the bridge is unsafe or unstable or hint at unsavory details about its funding? Not without lying outright. Ah, you'll never make it as a reporter with that attitude. You need to have imagination, creativity, a nose for this sort of thing. I like my nose just fine. Exaggerate, extemporate. That's not a real word. Aggrandizerate. Now you're just making things up. Ha! You'll never get the public to read what you write if you stick with a finite vocabulary. That doesn't even make sense. There are 20 newspapers here in Portland, from dailies to weeklies. Don't forget those two awful German papers, Deutsche Zeitung and the Stadtkronik. You stay out of this, Frenchie. We need to make the Portland Chronicle stand up on the pack, or we'll die like the Oregon literary vedette. The literary vedette closed due to fire. Maybe you should get some of those brass pump fire extinguishers, Captain. Ah, never mind. To that end, I need you to go to Astoria. Oh, you're not sending me to do a historical feature on John Jacob Astor and his family again, are you, Liam? No, 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 nothing like that. A ship ran aground off the mouth of the Columbia. So what's so unusual about that? Ships run aground on the bar all the time. How often does a ship run aground that's a ghost ship? Ghost ship? Uh-huh. When rescue crews rode out there to offload the cargo and the sailors, they found no one on board. Well, maybe the crew abandoned ship before the new crews got there. That's the official word and what the Portland Gazette is publishing. Yes? My source on the coast, who knows some of the rescue crew, climbed aboard the ship, said that the ship wasn't just empty of crew, that the decks were covered in blood. Blood? Uh-huh. Pirates would have left bodies behind, not a single one on deck or below. And all the small boats were left and none of the cargo touched. Now pirates... And if they tossed the bodies overboard, they would have washed up on shore. Yeah, many of the bodies were dragged up from below. You can tell by the trails of blood. You don't think it was vampires? Oh, feral vampires turned ship into meat grinder. Our ships ain't from vampires anymore. Yeah, I don't know what to think. That's why I'm sending you to Astoria. I know we've got a scoop on the other papers, but we have to find out exactly what it is. Why don't we just make something up, Cap? 
You know, like hints and infer something. Because if some other paper finds out the truth, we look ridiculous. Mm. I swear this is a lost card. Now get yourself a horse and get out there. A horse? You want me to ride out there? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, ride a steamship all the way there instead. Wait, why don't you take an airship while you're at it? Sure, we'll hire the silver bullet travel in the highest of luxury. You know there are no docking towers in Astoria. Oh, that must have been sarcasm. Oh, imagine Liam Stark using sarcasm. Get on this, Jeffries. I need results. We need to show up the Portland Gazette. Get me an angle. Vampires, trade unionists, whatever. Stand out from the pack. Sure. Send me to a dead-end town for a dead-end story. Well, it looks like Mon Capitan sends his star reporter to get paid to go to the coast. What's your problem, LeBlanc? Only Janice Jeffries would complain about getting an assignment that takes her out to the romantic sea. Oh, I hate the coast. It's windy, it's always wet, and waves and water start to look all the same after a short while. It's highly overrated. Oh, good. As long as you will not be enjoying yourself, I can abide by that. I just might have to do something enjoyable to spite you, Frenchie. I hope it rains on you. Despite Liam's desire for me to get over to the coast range as soon as possible, I wanted to do some background research first. So I took the evening and went to see the vampire liaison for the city of Portland, Friedrich von Krauss, to get his thoughts on the vampire angle on this story. So, you require an accounting of our munitions before the public assumes our guilt. Unfortunately, yes. And you have come to me to provide you with this apology before blame is placed upon our kind. Well... Uh, let us look at this uh, <laughs> empirically, shall we? First. Our regular community of vampires does not partake in human blood. So unless the cargo ship was cattle, sheep or goats, no. <laughs> then there is no reason to suspect the civilized vampire residents along the coast, of which there are only unsprinkling few. Anyways, now, to this position that a pack of feral vampires swam out on the ocean, bought it a ship, slaughtered its crew, and dragged the bodies off ship and disappeared into the night? <laughs> there. It is not very likely. I think you're right. <clears throat> and having been no previous reports of any feral sighted at all, which was a pack of them roving about the countryside. There have been none. Then keeping in mind the volume of victims would be required to keep the pack fed, as if any further attacks on land or sea, rather than this one incident. We certainly would have heard. That kind of thing is difficult to hide. And we must conclude... That there's no roving pack of feral vampires victimizing our coastline, on land or by sea. Hmm. And there you have it. Reductio ad absurdum. 
It would be absurd to assume a pack of feral vampires, which exist only on rare occasions to begin with, would be responsible for this singular tragedy and leave no other such tragedies as evidence of its existence. That's fine. I can use that. That's, that's great. But uh, what would it be then? What caused this tragic mystery to happen? There are details of this that are indeed disturbing. Something else is at work here. Something I am missing. But taunts at me from the edges of my memory. Ah! No good for me. Let me introduce you to uh, our some of our repository of knowledge within our community. She is what she would call unwise woman. Filled with wisdom and experience because she is beyond centuries old. She is a millennium in age. She is the old crow. She is valuable to us. She is sacred to us. I will grant you an introduction to her. She is otherwise unwilling to see humans. Not see humans? Why not? Because she is wise. With written introduction in hand, I followed the address and side notes to make my way to the old crone's residence. When I arrived, I must confess to some disappointment. It seemed very plain and ordinary. I expected, I don't know, animal skulls, or an intricate weavings, or an ancient coat of arms, or something. Just plain Jane. Hello, may I help you? Um, I'm Janice Jeffries from the, uh, Friedrich gave me this, uh, Friedrich Krauss. Friedrich von Krauss gave me an introduction. Here, uh, look at this. I couldn't just say I'm looking for the old crone. So I handed the young woman, the young servant, the written introduction Friedrich gave me. I was now very glad he had supplied me with an invitation. Now maybe this youngster can show me where I need to go or tell me I'm in the wrong place. Come in. You come bearing greetings from Mr. Van Krauss. I've been told that the old crone doesn't entertain human callers. I'm banking on Friedrich's endorsement to get me in the door. <laughs> you do appear to be in the door. Yes, well, can you tell her that I'm here? I'm quite anxious to talk to her. What is your business, may I ask? I'd prefer to tell her in person, if I may. Well, you certainly may. I did mention that I was anxious to speak with her. Yes, yes you did. Quite so. I have some important business to discuss with her. I'm sure you do. You deal in important matters, Miss Jeffries. I would just like for her to know that I'm here. I can wait if need be. Wait as long as you like, Miss Jeffries. Yes, but I do not wish to wait any longer than necessary. Servants shouldn't be important. Oh, I agree. I don't like it when they are. It's a bad reflection on the household. <laughs> You're the old crone, aren't you? <laughs> Forgive me. I have this inconvenient habit of arranging memorable first encounters. It helps me to recall over the centuries. You appear very young. When we become blooded, our bodies stop advancing in appearance as well. I was very young when I was transformed some few thousand years ago. Friedrich could have warned me and denied you this amusing first encounter. Oh, remind me to thank him for his little joke at your expense. He must think highly of you. He doesn't make for me introductions to humans. Hardly ever. Oh, we're friends. Miss Jeffries, this 
represents more than mere friends. I hope you will one day appreciate what this represents. I hope I will one day as well. Well then, you have business and you are anxious. What brings your path to this old crone? <clears throat> there was a ship off the coast of Astoria, ran aground with all the hands missing. Intriguing. After eliminating the scenario of feral vam vampires and human pirates, I've been invited to ask your opinion for possibilities, given the location, circumstances, and history of the area. Oh, dangerous mystery indeed. Sources say the decks were covered in blood, with plenty of evidence of deadly violence. I was hoping to pick your brain, as it were, before traveling to Astoria to make an investigation. I have my suspicions, Miss Jeffries. I have a number of possibilities. But as you mentioned, it is the history of the area which may well provide the key. I have a friend of the Coastal Chinook tribe, and I was going to consult him to help fill in the gaps of this mystery. Ah, well, if he has an acquaintance with the local lore, that may be of a great advantage. I will leave you with this, then. Your Columbia River is quite powerful and turbulent at its mouth, but the term Chinook would refer to as Skookum Chuck. Ask your tribal friend if he would be of a mind that the sea Skookum have returned. If so, he may be able to assist you more readily. Thanks for your help. I will consult with my friend on the matter and relay your message, though I don't entirely understand it. Thank you all the same. Uh, as a side note, I would dearly love to do an expose on you and your years, your stories. You must have a trunk full of them. I could do a regular weekly, weekly feature and fill it with your experiences, your observances, your wisdom. Oh, alas, one of my greatest assets to serve a, assist to serving my people, and now you is my anonymity. Look around you. Is there anything here which would suggest someone living thousands of years, who has seen ages past, and known great secrets of the millennia? You hide in plain sight. <laughs> I have developed a knack for assuming an unassuming visage. It has served me well over the years. For now, perhaps, I can impart to you upon occasion a little this or a little that, which may help you in your endeavors. I would be eternally in your debt. I acquired a horse from Gin Stables and Forge and headed out on my way to the coast, cursing Liam, the editor, the whole way for his cheap ways. I never enjoy an open-air ride west of the coast. I always get the creeps right before I press the ridge of the coast range, every time. I tried to talk it through with my mare, Justine. You'll let me know if there's anything dangerous coming along our way, right, old girl? Like a troll or something, right? Tell you what, don't bother trying to let me know. Just bolt into a run and run as fast as you can go. The trip went off without incident, despite my nearly screaming at the top of my lungs on three separate occasions for no apparent reason whatsoever. The next day in Astoria, I had to locate one of the rescue crew who rode out to the SS Hibernia. I went to the Mariner's Hall and sought out anyone who was on the rescue crew that went out there. Nobody was talking, especially not the hall master in charge. What? What you be stirring up about all that tragedy for? I just want to confirm some facts. Uh, what was not fit for no one to suffer? Just leave well enough alone. Can I talk to anyone on the crew of the rescue boat? Oh, they've all been transferred. What? Well, all of them? Hey, none of them wanting to work on this shore anymore. I, I didn't blame them. And went to San Francisco or up north to Seattle and such. No one here I can talk to. Not like they want you any day. Now, now get your car. 
I had left the hall dazed and confused that the entire boatload of sailors had vacated the town and good work after the encounter with the Hibernia. I was still replaying my conversation with the hallmaster when a hushed figure hugging the corner outside the Mariner's Hall caught my eye. And was he hissing or spitting at me? Shh. Me? Shh. Come here. Who are you? You're looking for details on what happened with the Hibernia? Yeah, the hallmaster. That wasn't right what happened. What they did to them after. They tell you they all transferred out, huh? Got reassigned? Yes. Don't you believe it? Right. Wasn't, wasn't natural. Are you Liam's contact? Go to this address. I knocked three times at the door. Then once more, you'll find out the truth. And don't we see? Reflexively, I looked down at the paper the anxious man had given me. I've got to stop doing that. When I looked back up... I still have some questions for you, mister. What was your name? He was gone. I followed the address I'd been given and made my way to an empty warehouse with a basement door. Rather squalid conditions, I'd say. But living and hiding was Kevin Horn, the only remaining boatman in Astoria who boarded the ghost ship Hibernia. You were on the crew that rode out to unload the Hibernia? Would that I never got into the boat and go to hell. The, the official report says all hands had abandoned ship upon running aground at some time in the night, and that you had found the ship empty. Well, the official report is just a cover-up uh, to keep fear from spreading on these shores. Hibernia ran aground. Did you ever find out why? Uh, Hiberia ran aground because no one was piloting the ship. There was no one at the helm when she hit. But you thought there was a crew to rescue. Yes. Well, we, we run our boat out, expecting to offload crew before the ship breaks up on the bar. What happened? Well, we get there, and when we hail them, there's no answer. And then Jenkins climbs up inside, and, and we wait for him for a short bit, and we see Jenkins leaning over the side and uh, feeding the fish. Feeding the fish? Emptying his guts. His guts? Skewing his breakfast. Oh, regurgitating. What? Vomiting. That's what I said. Lowers the lines, the rest of us can go up, and I wish I'd stayed in the boat and never gone up the side. What did you see? Oh, the deck. Strewn with blood and entrails, slabs of human flesh. Slabs. Oh. Entrails. And blood. Uh, Thompson found a whole arm. It had been torn out of its socket, but on the hand. All the fingers, they've been... What? Chewed off. So there was not a soul on board then? Oh, not a one. By the carnage there, it was vampires, I'm sure. Vampires drink blood. They don't eat fingers. Well, I don't know what I saw. Was there any sign of a struggle? Weapons strewn about, a last stand made, holds and doors bolted and locked? Oh, nothing like that. Just the carnage, like, like they were dumb cattle. Held to the slaughter. What happened with the crew of your boat? Well, we hadn't been ashore even until the next meal. They all got orders to ship out and ship someplace else. By the middle of the week, they were all gone. Why didn't you go with the rest of your mates and get reassigned? I'm going inland and being a farmer or a logger or a beggar. I, I don't care. I'm done with the ocean. 
evil in those waters. I'm putting distance between me and that evil. It was time to visit my friend, Tony Waters. He's a Chinook tribesman active in the area, and I wanted to ask him what he thought might be the cause of all this, and to pass on the old crone's message to him and see what his reaction would be. Tony, it's been a long time, my friend. Janice the news hound. <laughs> what news from over the mountains from your river town? We've got an airfield and tethering tower for airships, hmm. and steam trolleys carts to get around town, and the railroad can cross the river on a steel bridge now. <laughs> Uh, we don't have any of these new inventions and te technologies here on the coast yet. Well, you live in luxury in the big city, but I do have a means of purging the back sickness. Did you come by horse? Yes, how'd you know? If you've got that rub-down stuff, maybe I'll get to sleep easier tonight. Say, speaking of horse rides, what can you tell me about the coast range and the weird feelings I get when I'm crossing up there? Hmm. I can tell you about fish and tides and the big river. If you want to know about the hills and the forest and the fay up there, talk to a Klatskany. That's their area now. Okay. Uh, speaking of tides and big water, what would be something that could board and slot an entire ship's crew of sailors and then leave again? Hmm. I see you haven't just come here for my bat salve, Janice the News Hound. It sounds like some serious evil that you hunt for news copy. Well, you've got to pay for those luxuries somehow. Huh. They came on board the ship, you say? Tell me more. I described in detail the known events of the wreck of the Hibernia, including Kevin Horn's graphic account of what was found on deck. And I also finished it with the tidbit that the old crone had given me. See Skookum. Huh. Well, yeah, well, that's, that's an evil for certain. Tell me more about this evil. During the Age of Transformation, they hunted along these shores, uh, sea creatures who would prey upon the sea, all things, humans included. They were quite famous for causing boats to crash and to devour those unfortunate enough to survive. Sounds like it could be our monster. It is said that these she creatures would sing a song that would be beautiful and deadly, that if you would hear their song, you would not be able to move, so entranced you would be. Singing? You mean sirens? On this coast? I thought they were just a Mediterranean thing. The Mediterranean may have its species, but they were more bird-like, as I recall from meeting Homer. No, these are more like evil spirits of the sea, encased in flesh of a human female and sea serpent. They are deadly, and they never travel alone, but in broods. What do I do? Back in the early time, we as a tribe had to deal with them. I'll go look up what we did in the archives, or talk to some elders. If they had a number of kills, they'll need a place to stash their victims to snack upon later. Things never are dull when Janice the News Hound is in town. <laughs> Tony Waters did some checking and came up with a likely place along the shore where I, might, where I might find where the Pacific Sirens may have nested. It's a tiny cove. It's rather tough to get there on the land side. You need to go down on the right side and then hide in the trees and watch. Let me know what you find when you get back. Oh, and go during the night. That's when they're active. They hunt at night. I traveled to the spot that Tony described to me and found my way down the ravine to a clump of wind-blown trees that just overlooked the cove. I could hear the waves below crashing against the rocks at the edges and rolling across the sand in the center. 
As I waited through the hours in the dark, I was glad LeBlanc's curse hadn't come to pass, or I'd be sitting here waiting in the rain as well as the cold and the wind. And then I saw her. It, the, the creature. At first I saw a human figure coming halfway out of the waves. Then as the water got lower and lower, I could see that instead of legs, she had a long, sinewy, serpentine body, like a snake. And she slithered up surprisingly quick upon the sandy shore. Behind her, she towed something, something in her hands, dangling down. At first, I thought she might have an extra set of arms. But as it turns out, she carried a human arm with her. I watched in horrid fascination as she sat upper half naked, and gnawed and chewed upon the limb, making fast work of it with her very sharp, shark-like teeth. Then, not unlike one would suck out the meaty bits within a crab's leg, she did the same thing inside the cluster of wrist bones, making slurping noises as she did. And when she was done, she tossed the clean bones without a care, and part of the bushes behind her revealing an open mouth of a cave which she slipped into, and the bushes closed behind her like a theatrical curtain. I came out of my hiding place and stumbled down into the cove proper, made my way over to the bushes in the cave. I stepped up closely to the bushes, and I heard what seemed to me to be heavy, heavy, heavy rhythmic breathing, and what I took to be snoring. So I hazarded a look past the bushes, gently pulling them aside. As the last bushes got themselves entwined and stubbornly stuck, I pulled back with a jerk as hard as I could, and they finally broke free. And there I beheld face to face the deadly creature. As it turns out, it was not snoring she was doing, but breathing through gills on the side of her neck. The creature's eyes went big for a moment, and then narrowed down to reptilian slits. The creature was still cleaning out the human flesh between her teeth with her tongue and made two last slurping sounds while it regarded me. Dessert! I ran. I'm wa in watching her fluid motion, I figured she'd catch up with me in short order. So I turned toward the steep cliff face, jumped up as high as I could, grasped the protruding bush brush root, and hauled myself up as fast as I could go. Meanwhile, the creature came up closer and closer in its winding fashion, and presently she was directly beneath me. But because of her sea serpent bottom half, she couldn't leap up the cliff after me. Well, it looks like you're the one that got away. She rasped through those sharp, crooked teeth and forked tongue. You're using the wrong bait. And while I was congratulating myself for my biological analysis, which anticipated her not being able to jump after me, my ears were assailed with a strange alien sound. And as I sat there in my alcove, my small ledge on the cliff face, I found that I could not move a muscle. I was completely paralyzed without the ability to move my arms, my legs, even blink. My external motor ability was completely bereft of movement. And the creature stood below me in expectation. I don't know for how long. And then she slowly slithered away without regard and disappeared into the darkness. 
sing to you. Sang? I'd hardly call that singing. Though its effects were undoubted, I was not able to move. So struck was I by the sound. I could think, I could see. My hand was still wrapped around the tree root, thank goodness. You're fortunate to have escaped. I have no doubt that this was how the brood attacked the cargo ship off the big river bar and ate their fill on deck and then killed the rest to drag their bodies off to marinate them in the salt water. You mean they ate the men while they were still alive? Why they couldn't move? Why they couldn't even scream? Well, I imagine the paralysis wears off after a time. Then the screaming starts. That's awful! And to add to that, they've only just arrived and have found it to be a fat hunting ground. We'll not be rid of them easily. What can be done? They must be driven from our shores. Make this an unwelcome hunting ground. They'll move on if you are strong against them and demonstrate that other hunting grounds would be easier. Me? Aren't you helping? <laughs> I am no warrior. Like I am? Oh, yes. Yes, you are. You have the warrior spirit within. I have seen none stronger in my days. Janice, the news hound, is a great warrior. Great. Fine. But how do I deter them from staying here? I have, from my elder relatives, a concoction of uh, bee wax, seaweed extract, and some herbs, roots, and witch hazel bark, which will negate the sound of the siren. It was used in ancient days past when the Chinook first settled here and drove them away from our lands. Normally I charge for this, but for you... Charge? Uh, the knowledge from my grandfather's doesn't come cheap. Your grandfather was a mathematician. He taught at the university. And they pay squat. There's more money in herbology than math, I'm finding out. Ever try to sell a quadratic equation? Look, send me an invoice as a consultant. I'll forward it to Liam. I'll enjoy the look on his face anyway. Phew, this stuff stinks. <laughs> Honestly, having to work with the smell is primarily the reason for the charge. Also, while I was in my uh, home laboratory and gunsmithery, I loaded some of these firebird rounds you can use with this forebear pistol. There's one thing these sea skookum are deathly afraid of. It's fire. I went and I made my way back to the tiny cove, with Tony Waters' concoction slathered in my ears. I could barely hear with this stuff in my ears. Everything sounded very far away. It was disorienting. And I packed the four-barrel pistol they gave me and some extra rounds in a bag. Pistol is a misleading term. It's more like a mini shotgun with flare rounds about the size of your thumb, fitted into four barrels which rotate when turned to line up the next charge. It was still pre-dawn dark as I stumbled down the slope and landed relatively unscathed, but not unscratched, on the sandy rock surface of the sea cove. I looked around and wondered how I was going to engage the creature. It's not like there was a Pacific siren whistle call to blow. It was then that I realized that I was the lure and the bait as well. How many times does one get the opportunity to try again at catching the white I was pretty certain I wouldn't miss this encounter. You came back! Oh, it was your personality! I just couldn't resist! Well, no matter. I never say no to a free morning snack. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Yes! You've got to leave here. What? This is good hunting ground. I don't have to chase down my meal. It comes to me. You, twice now. We know of you now. 
You're not a secret. We will resist you. Can't be on watch all the time. We will hunt you down. You will be the prey. <laughs> I hardly think that's likely. These are different times than when your kind was here before. The Chinook drove you out once. We will do so again. I grow bored with this exchange, and it has profited me nothing. I will now dine upon your entrails while you watch helplessly. I hardly think that's likely. The Skookum opened her mouth and out rang her siren song. It wasn't so much singing, but more a screeching, as far as I could tell. Whether Tony Waters' grandfather's concoction changed the pitch and tone, or maybe altered the frequency to what my eardrums received, I'll leave that up to the scientists to ponder. All I know is that for one brief, terrifying moment, I was afraid I wouldn't be able to move, and I'd be watching her chewing on my guts. It was a thrill of my heart that I flexed my fingers during her sinister serenade, and I knew I had beaten her. There, now, that's better. Dinner shouldn't be so verbally impudent anyways. Oh, I know what you mean. I hate it so when the meal talks back. The look on her face was priceless. For a moment, she was herself unable to move, speak, or respond. She was so shocked at my reply. That was so rewarding. Now I know why Jiminy Vickers went into vaudeville. Surprising. Oh, well, looks like it's talons and teeth then. I hardly think that's likely. I'm liking that phrase. One thing the, the Chinook didn't have back in the age of transformation is a well-oiled Remington four-barrel pop gun. Well, you are full of surprises tonight, aren't you? You have up the sticks in our little game of Alpha Hunter. Technology's a bitch, sister. Oh, my, my. Well, you have me at your leisure at gunpoint. I wonder if that's the same for any of my sisters here as well. As she nodded over my shoulder behind me, I became horrified to realize that though my back was to the ocean, that did not in any way mean that I was covered from behind. I turned about slowly, and then came to see the half-dozen other monsters which had emerged from the sea and stood dripping in a semicircle around me. By the enthusiastic and malevolent gleam in their eyes, I could tell some of them were already deciding who'd get the drumstick of me. We're here, my dear, and we're here to stay. Your tricks and your toys, notwithstanding. I endeavored to back up as much as I could upon the dry sand. In the meantime, though, the brood of sea hags began closing their encirclement around me, like as it were a net around a fish. I had only one chance, and I took it. One of the sharp, crooked-toothed monsters on the end was closing in tightly, closer than any of the others. I let fly with Tony's firebird round. fire as round as my arm licked out from my forebarrel. It struck the one monster square in the face and torso and she immediately fell to the ground, screaming in agony. The other creature stopped their advance and reeled back in horror. One drew back completely and dove into the safety of the water. That's one. I've got three left in the barrels. Technically, that means more of you than I have rounds. 
but the odds are greater than even that you won't survive if you attack, and you'll die like her. Now let's talk. You have my attention. Leave this coast and don't come back. This is not your hunting grounds. We know of you now. We can defend ourselves from your attack and protect ourselves from your death song. The Pacificus is big enough for the both of us. Leave us now and you can survive. Or stay here and be destroyed. We will leave. Come, my brood. We have a short time before the sun appears. But for the death of our sister here, we will not forget this shore. Nor you! shall cease and desist from printing a story which threatens the safety and commerce of the vital economic lifeblood to our respective ports and shipping business based on unsubstantiated and possibly fabricated news spittle. News spittle? Is that even a word? You'll never get the public to read what you write if you stick with finite vocabulary. What? Never mind. That's the official line. They know what we uncovered is the truth. They're just afraid of it. Yeah, it's the truth! And we can't even print it! There's irony for you, Liam. The truth being something so fantastical that we need to fabricate something in order to make it palatable for our readership. But it's the truth! There, there. You and I know the real story. And so does that gibbering city council of Astoria as well. Well, what, if anything, did this expedition to the coast gain us? <laughs> Except for these exorbitant consultant fees to bring back from the coast? Pay them, Liam. They are greatly worth it. Trust me. At least we got a ghost ship story out of it. Yeah, along with every other newspaper in Portland. While the Columbia River Bar maintains its reputation as the graveyard of the Pacificus, the Port Authority of Astoria now insists that a local pilot take over navigating any seafaring vessel which attempts to cross over the Columbia Bar for safety reasons. But each of those pilots will have with them a sloppy helping of Tony Waters' smelly concoction in their ears and will be armed with the Firebird rounds for protection. <laughs> and the government will pay a healthy price for Tony's ancient tribal secret formula and special flame load rounds. Now there's justice for you. Tony Waters is right. There is more money in herbology than there is in mathematics. Yes! <laughs> And next time, Liam can send LaBlanc to the coast. She'll be happy to go and think it more of a lark than work. I think I've had enough of ocean waves and salty winds for quite some time. This has been a Steam Portland Chronicles. Fantastical accounts of intrepid reporter Janice Jeffries. Episode 3 The Sirens of Astoria. Performed by the Scary Home Radio Players. Yes! 
You have been listening to Nightmares from the Shadows, written and directed by David Ian, and performed by the Scary Home Radio Players. Trisha Glenn, David Ian, Daniel Robine, Karen O'Brien, Laura Myers, and Connor Hearn. Paulie Sunderbacks by Spring Dina and David Ian. Music and sound files by Mark Rose. And visual by Joe Medina. Consider yourself fortunate. You have just survived. Nightmares from the Shadows. Hey, Billy, why do you look so down? Aw, oh, Dad, I got a computer, a PlayStation, and a barn full of iguanas, and I'm still bored. <sighs> Gee, Billy, when I was your age, I would read lots of stories in pulp magazines. Oh, with stories of weird adventure and fantasy, horror, satire, and lots of action. Wow, that sounds great, Dad. Yeah, I sure wish there was something like that right now. <laughs> there is, Daddy-O. Who are you? I'm Dr. Mary Von Roxbrocket, host of the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour. And now there's... Twisted Pulp Magazine! <laughs> What's that, Doctor? Why, it is a return to greatness! Available on all your digital devices! That is what it is! Look! Whoa! Dad, this looks awesome! Exciting and, dare I say it, very unwholesome! You definitely have that right, my good man! <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Mary! My pleasure, Billy! And just between you and me, I am not sure that this man is really your father. Bye! Dad? Uh, just read your Twisted Pulp magazine, Billy. Twisted Pulp magazine! Available in dark alleyways behind meth labs everywhere! Or at digitalvaudeville.com That is D-I-G-I-T-A-L-V-A-U-D-E-V-I-L-L-E dot com! <laughs>